The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. And acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the second excerpt comes from Philippians 1, 8 to 11. Philippians 1, 8 to 11. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Rudy, for the scripture, and thank you, Anna and Emma, for leading us in worship. And let's just uh, let's take a moment to pray right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and um, like we just sang, we come to the altar. <clears throat> and we come, as we have heard in the scripture, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you we want to be. And Lord, when we come, we just come with all the stuff, like Anna reminded us, all the mess. We come with all that we are because you know everything that we are and we come to everything we know about you. And we would ask you this day, would you meet us, O oh Lord? Uh, would you meet us in, this, in the word of God as we look at the scriptures? And would you meet us, Lord, in our trials and, and struggles, whether it's physical health that many are facing during the pandemic or just colds and flus, whether it's uh, the difficulties of different job situations or family life. Father, there are many things that are affronting us in these days. We pray, oh God, meet us. We come to you. We, we lay our lives before you. We need you. And we acknowledge that. And we thank you, Lord, for these precious little babies that were born and their families. We pray blessing upon them, oh God, and encouragement. And uh, yeah, thank you, Lord, so much. And would you now help us as we open up your word to... to let your searchlight come into our hearts and minds and uncover and expose anything you want to see changed and transformed and help us to cooperate with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, indeed, it is a blessing to uh, these little children, these little babies that have been born. And of course, we're so delighted, Pat and I, to be uh, grandparents over again, and, uh, and uh, we, we met Lucia the other night, and uh, she's a precious little girl. 
Uh, do you know that uh, I think during the pandemic, and Kevin could correct me on this, but I think there's something like 15 or more babies born uh, in this past couple of years. And so we don't likely hope that we'll get all of them dedicated on the 23rd of January. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just try to keep on offering Sundays for those baby dedications. We're joking about how most of these babies are going to be running down the aisles to be dedicated, I think, by the time we dedicate them. <laughs> so uh, that's the way it is. Well, we are studying the book of Romans, and I'm so glad that we are in chapter 12. And uh, my sermon title this morning is called A Transformed Life, Renewing Our Minds by the Mercies of God. And uh, last week I shared an introduction to the sermon on Roman, the, the, the chapter of Romans 12, and I, I shared with you especially about uh, verse 2 and the two key words that are being used in in Romans 12, 2, the word do not conformed or be conformed, but be transformed. And that word metamorphosis is the word in Greek that we are, see Paul using for the, the change that God wants to work in our lives, that transformation. And um, we, we uh, mentioned last week that we like this definition of spiritual formation, which is what Paul is talking about when he uses the word metamorphosis. And this is by Mel Lawrence. He says, spiritual formation is the progressive patterning of a person's inner and outer life according to the image of Christ through the intentional means of spiritual growth. It is those intentional means of spiritual growth that has to do with the whole theme of your individual spirituality. What are the intentional means of spiritual growth that you are adopting into your family and into your personal life that are going to help you to grow and be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? And that whole subject is, is, is sort of under the, the, the banner of spirituality. You know? Now, if you mention the term spirituality today, you could get a whole plethora, a whole variety of different responses as to what spirituality means. I mean, there's even a secular spirituality. <laughs> and so there's all kinds of ways of understanding this term. <clears throat> but we're going to be, of course, studying the Apostle Paul. And by the Spirit of God, he is being guided to show us what true spirituality has to do with. Now, we are a bit of a disadvantage living in the age that we do in the 21st century, because in the earlier centuries of church history, every theology was a spiritual theology. And in fact, theology itself, before the period of the Enlightenment, was a discipline that affected every other discipline or science or understanding. But around the 14th century, a divorce began to occur that took place between theology and spirituality. A gap widened. Let me read to you what Bernhard Ott says. He says, in this process of development from the University of the Middle Ages to the modern University of the Enlightenment, theology lost its role as the integrative center of all searches for truth and knowledge. You hear that? Theology lost its role as the integrative center for all studies of knowledge. 
in essence, there was a time when theology, the study of God, influenced all other studies, whether it was sociology or psychology or other sciences and so on. Because, you see, the conviction that comes out of the Scriptures, even, is that all truth is God's truth. And so we can see how that, it's integrative. But so many scholars, of course, find then that the Bible's principles actually are affirming of their disciplines of science or sociology and study. It's because all truth is God's truth. But in our age, this disintegration has, has happened. And so that God and theology are off by themselves. God and theology are off by themselves. And spirituality is pursued in all kinds of forms and fashions. And uh, to use another analogy, the, the lens that we look through, that we've been handed, is kind of a bifocal lens. And so it makes it difficult to really focus on theology and spirituality integrated together. But they must be. Any true spirituality must rise out of the study of God, God's Spirit, who transforms our lives. True spirituality must be built on good theology. Let me read to you another quote by Eugene Peterson in his book called Eat This Book. He says, The blunt reality is that for all of our sophistication, learning, and self-study, we don't know enough to run our lives. The sorry state of the lives of many who have been taken, who, who have taken their own experience as the text for their lives is a damning refutation of the pretensions of the sovereignty of the self. You see, when we make ourselves our own text, our own authority, our autonomy, our own sovereign, we run into many, many problems, is what he's saying. And so true spirituality is what we are going to be studying in Romans chapter 12. And we are going to be studying how to become Romans 12 Christians between now and Easter. And um, the Spirit of God is the one who wrote Romans 12 through the person of the Apostle Paul. And the Spirit of God speaks of authentic and true spirituality based on a solid theology. These are inspired words, carefully chosen to describe the kind of change that God wants to work in you, and then after working in you, or as he works in you, works out through you into your living and your behavior. This is authentic spirituality. This is not conforming to some outward religious pattern. This is not imitating something outwardly. This is authentic and true spirituality. And I have four things that I want to say about these two verses this morning. And first, I want to say that the basis of our transformation is our response to the mercies of God. That's where Paul goes. Before he gets in very far, he says, I urge you, I appeal to you. That word appeal or urge is parakaleo, which is where we get the word parakletos, the idea of the Holy Spirit is called the parakletos, the one who comes alongside to help, like a good counselor does. And Paul is using that word of himself. He says, I'm coming alongside of you, you Romans. I want you to get this. I'm coming alongside. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. 
present your bodies as living sacrifices. And so the response language, you see, we are always responders to God. He is always the initiator, and we are always the responders. And the response language is found in the word therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, figure out what it's there for, and you go back in time to chapter 11, and you see why. And the key word is the mercies. In fact, in chapter 11, verses 30 to 32, we won't take the time to read them, but four times the mercy of God is mentioned in those few verses, 11, 30 to 32. In verse 32, he says, God has consigned all, meaning Gentiles and Jewish people, all peoples to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And so there's a certain kind of mercy that God has extended to the nation of Israel, and there's a certain kind of mercy that God has extended to all other ethnos, all other other peoples. And he's saying that everyone has been consigned to disobedience because all have sinned and fall short, And that way, God gets to have mercy on all people. And so Paul takes that up after the doxology of the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God and so on. He takes that up and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. That's the way the NIV states it. He says, In view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And so this idea of Mercy, even, the word is a broader word than just mercy. It's a a compassion. It's a deep feeling for someone's difficulties or misfortune. That's how the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament defines it. It's a deep feeling for someone's misfortune or difficulty. God has this feeling of deep identification. He, He mercies us. His mercy is upon us. And he sees our condition, our helpless, hopeless condition. And God, or Paul says, in view of what God has done to show his mercy. He's spent 11 chapters describing it, what God has done. In view of God's mercy. What's the response? Offer your bodies, yourself, back to God as a living sacrifice. That's our first point this morning. Secondly, I want to say that the scope of our transformation is our bodies presented to God. The scope of our transformation is our entire self, including our bodies. He writes, I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. And the word present here pictures the priest offering a sacrifice to God. It it means to stand beside to stand ready. You're on the ready. So this idea of you presenting your body is you're standing ready. I'm ready, God. Here I am. I am at your call. I am a living sacrifice, ready to do whatever you call me to do. That's the word present. It's used of the priests in the Old Testament. Ready to offer a sacrifice whenever it was called upon of them. And then the word sacrifice, of course, is from the Old Testament when animals were offered. And what happened to the sacrifice? It was put on the altar where the flames were, and that, that carcass of that animal, that body, was totally consumed. Totally consumed, burned up. And so, indeed, Paul is playing with the words, the nonsensicalness 
of a living sacrifice does not compute. A sacrifice by its very nature is consumed in the flames. It's offered up as a fragrant aroma unto God. All of these sacrifices in the Old Testament pointing forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would offer his life as a once-for-all sacrifice for sinners. And so Paul is, is really developing imagery here to try and describe that in response to the mercies of God, this is the way you ought to live. The word spiritual, this is your spiritual worship. Very interesting. It's not what you would think. The word spiritual is logical. In Greek, logikos. It's where we get the word logical or reasonable. So it's, it's, it's Paul saying here that in response to the mercy of God, the only logical response is that you offer your life back to God. He gave you life. He redeemed your life when you've messed it up. And he's, he's the one that gets it back. And the only logical response then is this is your spiritual worship. Give your life back to God. Be a living sacrifice. Be on call. Be on the ready. Lord, whatever you want from me, of me, I'm ready. That's the way this scripture is describing. <clears throat> so therefore, if we go back to the theme of spirituality, if your spirituality centers on you, it is misguided. If your spirituality takes you on a long journey or trek of trying to get more from God, you know, more blessing, more prosperity, more spiritual experience, more gifts of the Spirit, more knowledge, more... You've missed the point. Because the, the essence of spirituality, the way that Paul is describing it is not you getting more from God, God getting you. You offering your life as a living sacrifice. That's true spirituality. And how is it? It's in response to what God has already done. Not making a deal with God, not sort of payback to God. No, no, no. It's completely this voluntary, oh God, you've done so much for me. Here I am. How can I serve you? How can I worship you? Now, the Greek understanding, to understand what Paul's saying, we, we need to enter the mind of the Roman Christians that, that were reading it, very much influenced by the Greek understanding more than the Hebrew understanding of body. You see, in the Greek understanding of body, there was a dualism, a dichotomy between body and spirit. They believed that the mind, soul, and spirit was inherently good, and that anything physical like the body was inherently evil. Now, what did that lead some of them to do? Well, it led some of them to punish their bodies in asceticism, somehow to purge and purify their souls. It led others of them to, to live in the bodily way so carelessly, so given over to sin, because it doesn't matter, it's only in the body. What God cares about is the mind, the soul, and the spirit. So I can live whatever way I want to in the body. You see, that kind of doctrine or theology that the Greeks had believed had led to some very mad, bad practice. But that's not God's view of humans. That's not God's view of our bodies. We were created, the Bible teaches, in the image and likeness of God. That is the fundamental 
thing that creates dignity and worth and respect for human bodies. God created bodies not with this twisted idea that somehow they're inherently evil. Our bodies are good. God created good. He said when he, 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 said, he, said when he had made Adam and he, he said, very good. This is good. And then, and then sin entered the world and it affected our bodies. And so broken image bearers we are. Broken by sin. We're broken mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We're broken beings. Every human being is an image bearer of God, but a broken image bearer of God. And so our view of the body is not something to frown upon or be disgusted with or whatever. We just look upon it as being in need of being redeemed, in need of being healed, in need of being captured and set free, and so on. The scope, then, of our transformation is the entire self, but Paul had to say it this way, bodies, because of the Greek understanding, and the scope of our transformation is the entire self, including our physical bodies, which would have been a very interesting concept for the Greeks to hear, that we, we were not created by ourselves, we did not evolve by ourselves, we were created by God, we were redeemed by God, we were bought at a price, it says in the scriptures, and therefore we are to glorify God with this body. And uh, that's not the, the way the world, as you know, probably, that's not the way the world around us thinks about our bodies, that we belong to God. The way that our secular world around us sees our bodies is that it's my body and I can do what I want with my body and you can't tell me what to do with my body. That is the understanding in the world. And it has led some people to sin against their bodies or with their bodies in all kinds of ways. And it has led governments to make laws that protect those who want to have the autonomy of self to do what they want with their bodies. And I only need to mention the laws around abortion in our country that allow women to do with their bodies what they want at the expense of another living body, or the laws surrounding assisted dying, which says you can end your life when you choose, and that's not the understanding of Scripture. That's not the biblical view of human life. We are not the sovereigns over life. We did not give ourselves life. We cannot be the ones who decides when it is taken away or when it is played with or manipulated because God alone is that. That's the biblical view, friends. <clears throat> now, most recently... Most recently, there has been another law that has been passed, Bill C-4, and it is an act to amend the criminal code, and it bans conversion therapy, as it's been labeled. It was adopted into the criminal code this past Friday, just two days ago, and the intent, the stated intent of this law is the banning of coercive and abusive practices aimed at repressing or reducing 
non-heterosexual attraction so that individuals are free to express their gender identity as they wish. Now, that, that is the intent of this law, which we could all agree with. Various Christian organizations, including our church and the various groups that we, we have uh, we've supported, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, the Christian Legal Fellowship, the Canadian Center for Christian Charities, all of these groups and many others I could list have said to the government, we agree that there should never be any kind of abusive or coercive practices allowed in Canada of any kind. There's no place for that. The problem with Bill C-4 is that what has been adopted into the criminal code goes way beyond just those things. It goes into the definition of the conversion therapy is so broad that it really is open to abuse in the wrong hands. And the preamble to this whole bill is also so damning of the centuries of history of Judeo-Christian thought that it calls the biblical sexuality or our view of sexuality a myth. Myth. And it goes on so clearly one-sided against heterosexuality to be imbalanced. And finally, I would say that it is so unclear in its implications and its applications that it is going to be decided upon in the law courts. Only the future will tell the kind of impact that this bill will have on our beliefs, our freedoms, our freedom of expression, and so on. Now, our board and our staff have prayed, thought, read, talked about this bill. And uh, maybe you have too. I've talked to my RMP. Um, we have written letters. And what we're concerned about is not so much the bill, which we can't control. It's our response to the bill as a church, as a leadership. And I want you to know that our position as a leadership is not reactionary to the government's bills and laws. We do not expect our elected officials to represent our Christian values when we see that we Christians are a minority in Canada. They are elected by the majority to lead in the things that the majority want. So I don't expect the, Christian gov or the government to have my Christian values. We are responsible to pray for our government, to make our positions known to our government, to be the conscience of society as citizens, and to equip our people to live Christianly in a post-Christian society, which is fast becoming anti-Christian, and to live under the text of the biblical call. And you know, folks, we're, we're nothing, we're no different than the, the church at Rome in the first century living under that government. And so, so with that in mind, <clears throat> I just want to clarify that we don't want to be reactionary, and we want to refer you back to two sermons that were preached in this pulpit less than a year ago on Romans chapter 1, where we described our view of the biblical sexuality that God has called us to and the gender expression that God has called us to. 
and we, um, we give that to you in, in uh, it's online, it's on our webpage, January 31 and February 7 of, of 2021. You can find them on our webpage, you can read about them. Uh, we also would commend to you looking at our statement of beliefs, it's on our webpage. Article 4, we believe God designed marriage and the family. The Bible teaches that marriage refers to the covenant relationship between one woman and one man, equally yoked, and so on. And you can read what we believe about human sexuality, about marriage, about the family. And um, I want you to know that I'm aware that the narrative on the street, the narrative on the street is that if you do not affirm a person's individual choices in their own gender expression, that then we are hating them, not loving them. And I want to underline this fact that, that we reject that thought completely. We reject that thought that we hate. We reject it completely. And we love all people earnestly. We do not want to be drawn into an adversarial posture with the LGBTQ community. We do not want that. In keeping with our faith, we love all people created in the image of God. Everyone is. We want to treat all people with love and respect and dignity. And we hope that all people will come to believe in Jesus Christ, who alone can give them the transforming grace and power to live in obedience to him. And, and uh, we also believe completely that we are all broken image bearers, broken in different ways perhaps, broken nonetheless, and our eyes are on Jesus Christ to be our Redeemer. Perhaps I've said more than enough um, on this already. I know that probably within our congregation there are people that would love me to continue on in, in, in unpacking it more, and there's some that are probably upset that I even mentioned it. I'm trying to describe where our leadership has decided we need to stand on these things, speaking the truth in love. And um, I hope that's what you hear this morning. Well, we need to move on because we wanted, to, um, we wanted to clarify this. I believe that personally, I wanted to link this bill with our view of the body, which is right in our text. And I can tell you, friends, that if for some reason in our expository preaching series I would have been on Romans 1 today, like I was last January, I would have preached on Romans 1 today, regardless of Bill C4. Because we, we don't let the world set our agenda. We follow God, and we follow his, plan, his plans. So we want you to see that, indeed, the Christian view of the body is that this, this body, though it is made of dust, is, is got a treasure. It's in the image of God. It's a holy place. It's, it's viewed as the temple of the Holy Spirit, a place of worship, a house of prayer. It's a, a living sacrifice, ready and at the disposal of God, our Master, to be living for Him. Let's move on. And that is to the third point, and that's the requirement for our transformation, which is our minds renewed in God. Last week I taught about the words conform and transform. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does that mean? The word renewal here has the idea of a process which makes fresh, which makes new, and it needs, it needs to be led by God. 
But why does the mind need to be renewed? It's worth asking. What is wrong with the mind that Paul says, continually you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Well, I do not make light of any mental illness. I hope you never hear me saying that. But I believe that we need to understand that we are all in some capacity suffering from mental illness because we need our minds renewed. We need our minds renewed. Let's look at various scriptures at what Paul might be referring to. And I have various ones here. First of all, in Ephesians 4.23, Paul says, put off your old self and be renewed. But how? He says, in the spirit of your mind. Now, that's interesting. The mind has a spirit. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your spirit, your posture, your attitude. Maybe a better way of translating the word mind is mindset. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind, attitude, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, uh, the mind can be anti-God. The mind can be darkened. The mind can be ignorant. And the mind need needs to be renewed, or the mindset. Ephesians 4, 17, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated from God, ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. You notice all those adjectives? They could be used of the mind. The mind can be futile, darkened, alienated, ignorant, and hard. The the mind needs to be renewed. Titus 3.5, God saved us not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is renewal. We don't, we don't complete the action of renewal. We need the Holy Spirit to renew us. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed. Does that sound familiar? It's Romans 12.2 again found in Peter. And then the last passage I'll reference is 2 Corinthians 10. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. One author describes this process as a recognizing wrong thinking, a replacing wrong thinking with right thinking, a reinforcing it with behaviors and habits, a visualizing of what you're called to live like, and then an affirmation through action on how to do so. That's this idea of the renewing of our mind. A transformation happens as we no longer conform to the the old mindset and the mind, the attitudes, and we are instead transformed by this renewed mind. You know, both verbs are passive imperatives. They happen to you. If you're not careful, it'll happen to you. Be, don't be conformed, but be transformed. And so don't allow yourself to have the world's thinking, but allow yourself to be influenced by God and all of his thoughts and ways and habits of grace. Take 
prisoner every thought and make it obedient to Christ. People think they can have one without the other. They, can, they think that if they don't conform, they'll live true spirituality without being transformed. It doesn't work that way. Not conforming is just trying to be religious, imitation, not having authentic change. And trying to be transformed while hanging on to the not conforming is, is living the double life of hypocrisy that's the most miserable kind of Christian on the face of this earth. They both are the same two sides of the same commitment. Don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, little preposition in there, so that by testing you may discern. So the, the renewed mind is not the end in itself. And we really need to understand this. Christians are not giant bobblehead dolls, brains on a stick. Our, even, our evangelical approach to discipleship has been too heady. You memorize enough scripture and read enough Bible and have those good books and listen to sermon podcasts and, and all of that. You know, you can't think your way to holiness, folks. You can't think your way to holiness. How many times have we read, heard good sermons, read good books, we know exactly what we need to live like, what the transformed looks, life looks like, and guess what? A week later, we're no further in it. Because thinking right is not the end goal. And that's why Paul says, so that there, so that we might, by testing, discern the will of God. James K.A. Smith written a book called You Are What You Love. And he says this. He says, Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our longings and loves with his. He does not just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. What if the center and seat of the human person is found not in the heady regions of the intellect, but in the gut-level regions of the heart? How would that change our approach to discipleship and Christian formation? Really good question. Really good question. We are not just heads, folks. We are hearts. Jesus did not say, think about and believe in the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. No, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, strength and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when a couple of disciples or would-be disciples came to him in John 1, verse 38, Guess what Jesus asked them? The first question Jesus asked a would-be follower. He says, what do you want? He didn't say, what do you believe? What do you think? He said, what do you want? You can see, it's our loves, it's our wants that most are, is, is what God is after. That's where true transformation ends. The end goal of a renewed mind is the transformed habits and loves and affections of our hearts that we might be able to test and approve the will of God, not just say, okay, that's the will of God, I guess i got to follow it. No, that we'd love pursuing the will of God. That's why our discipleship, which has, Rudy and I were talking about this this past week, a, a kind of a Rene Descartes, this, French philosopher who said, I think, therefore I am. And we kind of have that view of Christian discipleship when we probably should say, no, I love 
therefore I am. I have heart affections and loves, and sometimes they're not ordered properly. And spiritual formation and true spirituality and transformation puts God back on the top and lets all the other ordered priorities figure out themselves under God. That's what Paul is arguing for here. Let's move on to our last point. I got kind of carried away on the third one. Because it's so important to get, isn't it? It's so important to get what a renewed mind leads to. And that's our final point, that the result of our transformation, which takes place by the renewal of our minds, our mindsets, is that our lives start to reveal the will of God. And you know what God's will is? God's will is not just that you do everything right and you obey the Ten Commandments. His will is that you love doing it. That you love His way. That you choose His way willingly, gladly. That you find most pleasure in His way. Not because of the consequences if you don't choose His way because you recognize that he's a good God, that, he, that his way is good and pleasing and acceptable. That's what God wants. And so Paul ends this verse by saying, by saying, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing it you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 1 that Rudy read it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. Why? So that you might approve what is excellent and pure and blameless. The same word being used by Paul is the idea of testing something through how you live to prove its authenticity. You will not be able to discern and test and approve the will of God and follow the affections of God without a transformed mind. In fact, you'll be in the language of James, a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Because the Lord wants you to walk in his ways, walk confidently, have peace, be in a secure place with him. Not just knowing his will, but learning to love and walk in his will and journey in it. And so these two verses that we've looked at these last two weeks are foundational to the entire journey that we're going to be on in the coming weeks in Romans chapter 12. Becoming a Romans 12 Christian is built on verses 1 and 2, starting next week with this idea of humility, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's where true spirituality begins. And um, we're looking forward to this. And I just want to um, fi finish with this thought. Do you know that if you have chosen any New Year's resolutions like I have in the past, do you know why most New Year's resolutions fail? It's because they have stayed in the realm of a thought in the mind or an intent in the heart. But there has been no strategy <laughs> on how to get the thought and the intent into the life. I want to encourage you that maybe the strategy of your walking through the journey with us, that part of the strategy of your follow-through in your own spiritual journey, or even a breakthrough in your own spiritual journey, 
it could be that part of the strategy is joining with us in the journey in Romans 12 in the coming weeks and joining with some other brothers and sisters in little clusters that, that allow you to explore what God and how God wants you to live. And right now we're going to listen to a video that Doug has prepared to help you understand the first steps on how to take on this journey together. May God bless you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Doug Friesen, and I'm excited to invite you to join us on a journey of becoming a Romans 12 Christian. As you may know, we're in the midst of a series on Romans 12 that will take us right to the end of February, and it's called Living a Transformed Life by Faith. And during this time, Pastor Terry has challenged us with a few things. First of all, to read Romans 12 every day, to start memorizing Romans 12, to be praying about our own inward journey with Christ, and to also pray about someone that we might intentionally want to journey with. And I have one other challenge for you. Starting the week of Sunday, January 23rd, we're inviting you to join us on a 12-week video series through a book called True Spirituality, Becoming a Romans 12 Christian, and it's based on the book by Chip Ingram of that title. And it's a wonderful resource. It's available on Right Now Media, and anyone in our church has free access to Right Now Media. If you don't have your profile already, please contact the church office or contact me directly and we'll get you set up. But uh, these 12 sessions are a wonderful snapshot of what daily life with Christ looks like. And it covers five different sections. It talks about how to give God what he wants the most, how to get the best from God, how to come to grips with the real you, how to experience authentic community, and how to overcome the evil aimed at you. These are all hugely important topics that impact our daily thought life and our daily living. So we're inviting you to go through this series with us. And you can do this at home alone if you wanted to or with your family. But we'd really like you to invite a friend or another couple or another family to join with you in your home. And you can watch the video series and then just discuss it. At the end of every message, that's about 30 minutes, there's always a really good discussion question that you can just focus on together. And uh, so we, you can plan that yourself whenever you'd like to throughout the week. But then on Wednesday nights, for those of you who are interested, from 7 till 8.30, we plan to meet together. And we'll spend the first part, a short intro, watch the video, and then we're going to break into groups of three to six people for discussion. And uh, so that you can talk about what you've learned and how it applies to your life. And those groups will meet throughout the 12 weeks together. And because we don't know all the changes that are going to happen from day to day with COVID, uh, we're saying that the first three weeks, so starting January 26th, the next three Wednesdays, we'd be meeting online. So again, online, everybody together, and then we'll use what's called breakout Zoom rooms that you can meet in your groups of three to six. And after those three weeks, you can decide as a group whether or not you want to continue meeting on Zoom, if you'd prefer to meet at the church around a table, or if you want to meet in someone's home. And so uh, we'd love for you to just join this experience so that we can learn more about our walk with Christ together through Romans 12, but especially that we can develop uh, relationships that are intentionally focused on becoming more Christ-like because we want to help each other in that journey. So one of the things we're going to ask of you is to fill in a survey that's simply called Becoming a Romans 12 Christian uh, Registration Form, just to fill in that form. Uh, in the next few weeks and let us know of your interest.